My big thing is authenticity. I think it's got to be who you are. And I know that's a little bit maybe pretty cliche, but I think it's it's easy to it's easy to see Gary Vaynerchuk and go, he's getting loads of attention doing it this way, therefore I should do that. That's what works. And I, I've done that. Like I've I've definitely tried certain things because of the people have done them and gone, that's just that's just not me. I think the quicker you can figure that out, the better. Hello and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast with me, Steve Ingham. Now, this podcast is all about exploring the dynamics of high performance with people who have been there and done it, people who have supported others to succeed or have explored performance concepts in real depth. And if you're feeling like supporting and championing us, then please do leave a review on iTunes. In this week's episode, I speak to Rob Pacey. Now, Rob runs one of the most successful podcasts in sport, the aptly named Pacey Performance Podcast, which focuses on strength and conditioning and training. He has curated close to 300 episodes since 2015, featuring some of the leading names in aspects of conditioning. And in this discussion, I was curious to find out what inspired Rob to begin to record episodes and create content for people, and how he started, how he took the plunge. What Rob didn't have at the time was a reputation to lean upon. He just went for it, with an infectious spirit summed up in the phrase, well, I could do that. He just looked over and thought, I'll give that a go. That optimistic spirit shines through about wanting to network, creating connections, learning from other people, and ultimately to contribute to the field. In a cluttered world of online content, we can learn from Rob's lesson of being consistent, showing up for people, and ultimately creating something of value. And while he didn't have a reputation when he first started, he does now. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Rob. How are you? Thank you very much for having me, Steve. I'm very well. Very well, thank you. Now, you hosted me on your podcast recently, and that spurred me to think about turning the tables back on you. In particular, the conversations that you have before and after a a podcast begins, and we obviously were talking a little bit about podcasting and some of the technical side of it, whether it's mics and setup and platforms and all these sorts of things. But it got me thinking just about how it's developed, the development that can come from linking with network, uh, interviewing people, finding out their insights. So I'm interested to ask you about the origins of the Pacey Performance Podcast. But before we do that, could you just give us a bit of a background to you? How, what's your journey been into sport and how you got started? Of course it is, absolutely. Um, so please feel free to interrupt me if I'm waffling on because um, I quite like the story. So yeah, feel free to interrupt. But yes, the, the dream was always um, to be a professional footballer, as it was for many, many other kids uh, and still is. But I wasn't successful building up to the kind of age of 16 when it's the kind of cut off. You don't make it uh, by 16, you're kind of done uh, on the scrap heap. But I, I was lucky enough to, to continue my levels at, at sixth form college and do do a year um, 
doing that. And I remember one little story of my um, PE A level teacher going around introducing everyone in that first year, and I was I was still pretty gutted from not kind of landing anything pre um, leaving school. And she went round and said, "Oh, why, why is everyone here? Like, why have you chosen to do this? What do you want to do?" And I said at sixteen, uh, "I want to be a professional footballer." And I remember all the other guys kind of oh, sniggering, like, "What is he doing?" And she was like, "Oh, who do you play for?" And I named the the, the uh, semi-professional team that I was in the reserves for. Um, didn't know who they are. No one knew who they were. Um, but I was I was still pretty confident that something would happen. And ended up playing for this semi-professional club in, a, in up north, kind of step seven, step eight ish uh, of the football pyramid. And while I was there, got to got talking with a, a guy who was looking after the goalkeeper who'd brought the, the goalkeeper in, and he was quite impressed with what I was doing as as a, as a player. And um, just mentioned that Doncaster Rovers were setting up an academy. They'd recently uh, got relegated a couple of times, and I think probably had a lot of financial trouble. I'm on the way on the way back, and they were they were um, redoing their redoing their academy. So I ended up going for a trial, a six week trial that ended up staying there for three years. So I did a two year apprenticeship um, on U team forms on forty five pounds a week, living the dream, cleaning showers and toilets. That was probably the that was probably the last real of from what I believe is probably the last couple of years of that kind of regime where you're having your hand down the toilet and you're cleaning the boots clean. is the classic yeah i mean clean i would have been delighted if i only cleaned boots <laughs> i was cleaning everything else as well as the boots <laughs> lucky bugger <laughs> so i was telling mates so that ended up yeah did that first year at, at sixth form college ended up getting signed for doncaster in that second year and i remember ringing up the school with with pleasure to say that I won't be coming back. Um, I'd sign you team forms at Doncaster, but that kind of bit me in the bum because I ended up going back one day a week when when the rest of the guys were doing their BTEC. I used to stay at my um, my local, well, the, the school where I went in the sixth form college, um, do my uh, finish off my A-levels. So the first year of my apprenticeship, I finished off my A-level and the second year of history. And um, so, yeah, that led into a, a professional contract off the back of that year. That was 2006, uh, only lasted a year. So got released in 2007, ended up going playing in uh, in non-league in the Conference North AFC Telford. So I was traveling the, it must be 200 miles on a Tuesday, a Thursday and a Saturday to go down there. But I was getting half decent money, um, especially compared to the £45 U-team contract that I was on to just kind of train on my own um during the day end up going back to Doncaster a couple of times I left on good terms to train with them and um kind of hung around at that level for a couple of years can I ask you about that then because how did that feel when you were first released you, you potentially have had an upgrade maybe in in some of the salary but you're going to have to take a an up a sort of downgrade in some of your aspiration so how did you think about that how did you adjust to that particular change for you at that moment yeah i think i've always been quite self-aware in my ability and i was looking back looking back i was i was maxed out i was maxed out doing what i was doing i was the rest of the lads would go out on a Saturday night, go back to their hometown, whether that be Grimsby or Scunthorpe, and go out on a Saturday night with you. I don't know how they went out on a £45 weekly weekly wage, but they did end up doing that. But I didn't. 
I was very committed to to doing what I was doing. I was in early. I was doing extras. Didn't really have a gym, but I'd do my kind of body weight stuff outside. And I was from what I um, kind of look back on, I was I was a, a pretty good student at that point as a as kind of football student, I suppose. So I, I was kind of maxed out, and I was quite like I say, self aware that I, I don't I didn't think I was good enough to get in the Premier League. But I thought I could have a career in football. So for that to disappear, not disappear, but for that to be knocked in 2007 and getting released was was quite tough. But there's no there's no there's no time to hang around because you just got to get something and get anything. And I remember saying to my my parents during that summer, having been released, that I got told quite early because, well, I asked quite early because I wanted to know what was going on because I wanted to get my head sorted. And that was, so I got told in like February, March time. And by the May, um, I said to my mum and dad, like, I'm going to train on my own, like I'm at Doncaster throughout the summer. So I didn't have a break. I ended up going to trials in kind of conference uh, level clubs in really good shape and looking really good compared to the guys who just come back for preseason. Um, ended up playing for Kidderminster in the conference against Telford. And ended up scoring and um, playing really well. And, and Kidderminster had um, had already signed a young centre back, and and they pulled me aside and said, "We can't sign you, but we think Telford might want to." Um, so I ended up signing there. But yeah, it was a it was a tough time. And I think it probably didn't hit me because you just kind of caught up in this want to get back in. It only hit me probably a couple of years after what had you know what had really happened and the kind of loss that I'd probably felt. So it, it, yeah, in summary, it was it was a tough process, but maybe not something that I fully got my head around for probably a couple of years after a couple of years after that. So it sounded like you had a an outlet through education, whether that's through the pastoral support, through the the football system. But it sounds as though that provided you with some sort of other distraction, a healthy distraction that could lead to your future route. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So the PFA. I know they do get some stick and they're on talks. Someone's from the PFA is on talks but every other day talking about issues in football and things. But in terms of looking after their members from an educational standpoint, they were, for me and my experience, they're absolutely terrific. So I, I took advantage of that and, and went on there through their sports science pathway. And it was basically they just linked up with a university who offered different courses. They have a, a physiotherapy one at York St. John, which I think is still going. Uh, sports journalism at, at Stafford, which I think is still going. And I went down the sports science route at Manchester Met, which I don't think is still going. Um, and that was a five-year part-time distance learning degree. So that was that was a long old process. Um, I remember there was about 150 on the course that the year that I I um I enrolled, and I think about I say less than 15 finished because it was just it was just so long and arduous and the we were getting stuff sent to us through the post in paper form rather than digital. So it was kind of on that cusp of of the kind of digital revolution, really, of getting everything online. Um, so that was that was yeah, that was a long process. Along the same lines, same time, I was I was working in a primary school, a couple of primary schools, doing PPA cover, teaching primary school kids PE and and whatnot. Um, and then did that for a couple of years in my, in my final year of my undergrad, I thought I'm coming to the end. I'm going to get a bit of paper. Um, what am I going to do then? So I realized that, okay, maybe that bit of paper isn't going to be sufficient to actually get me anything, but 
thankfully at the time I'd gone back to my old primary school and set up. So I was working for a company doing PPA, uh, PPA cover, but I'd actually gone back to my old primary school and set up a bit of a mini business um, of my own, charging kids and, and for football training. And then I got a couple of other schools on board at the same time and ended up having three or four schools that I'd go to on a Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, and just in the local area. And ended up selling that little tiny business to the people that I was working for during the day, during the PPA cover. And um, so I had that going on, but I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to have to take a hit because I need to do something back in football if that's what I want to pursue. So I ended up going back to Doncaster, and thankfully a lot of the players are still there, and it was probably during Doncaster's best time within the championship and doing really well. And a lot of the players were still there. And the captain who I'd, I'd kept in touch with, so I messaged him and said, have you got a, like, I know we didn't have a fitness guy when I was there, but do you have one there now? Like, I have no idea. And he said, oh yeah, I'll put you in touch with him. Maybe you can come in and see what we do. And the club had moved on massively since then. So I ended up going in and he said, you know, do you want to help come and help us with, help us with the heart rate and just, you know, potter about and, and do what, and needs to be done so ended up giving a, a day up at work and and going into Doncaster for free doing what I suppose would be an internship but it definitely wasn't that at the time it was just fill them bottles up can you test that urine can you go give that player a beer but it was just anything that needs to be done just to be around the place really and thankfully all the staff were were still there who I knew like I say a lot of the players and um by the end of that first year, so I was there about nine months and, and the youth team guy, because they'd got a, um, a full-time guy to look after the youth team at the time from a fitness standpoint, was leaving and going to Huddersfield. So the, uh, the first team guy said, Rob, do you want to take over his place? I was like, well, I haven't finished my degree yet. And he said, I've spoke to Sean, I've spoke to the manager who was the manager that released me five or six years earlier. He said, he's not bothered. He just wants somebody who the lads know, we know. And we know who's not going to upset the club, like do anything that we don't expect them to, basically. So I ended up taking that role a year before I'd even finished my undergrad and just working under working under Ross, who was the, the first team uh, fitness coach at the time. And then I'd started in the July and and was kind of winging it, absolutely winging it under under Ross and just getting his help and tapping into all his experience. And then... In the September, everyone got sacked. The manager got sacked, assistant manager got sacked, goalkeeping coach went, Ross went. Um, so I was kind of out on a limb on my own. They brought a new manager in, new fitness coach in. And um, yeah, I was, winging it, I was winging it on my own then. Oh, I see. Okay, so you were almost kept in, inside. You were kept away from that first team bubble. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I was in the youth team. I kind of kept my head down and... Got on with the fitness guy as as I do, just kind of getting chatting to him, seeing what he's about. He was in, he was uh, interested in me, so we did, we kind of sat um, opposite each other in the, in the in the office and ended up um, getting to know the manager, who was Dean Saunders at the time. Um, he was there a couple of years, and yeah, a very eventful couple of years uh, under Dean. But I I liked him as, as a guy. I don't know if you've heard him on Talk Sport, but he's before his incident, but he was he's hilarious. Um, not quite sure how great of a manager he is, but he was he was a, an interesting experience nonetheless. And um, yes, yeah, so I was there from the two years. And um, yeah. Okay, well, there's a couple of concepts there that would be interesting to to get your thoughts on. Firstly, knocking on doors. I mean, that's a big concept that we push 
at supporting champions for people to, to create opportunities for themselves. But equally, the people that are very close to you, uh, you've got to show that discretionary effort, the fetching a beer for somebody, filling the bottles up, that, that discretionary effort that shows that you're committed to the cause and how important that network is, that familiar network of people that are, are right next to you. You know, that, that concept of it's not what you know, it's who you know. A lot of people will throw their arms up in the air and slap their thighs and just say, that's not fair. I think the stronger alternative is to be thinking, well, that is a concept. That's a concept that you've got to, you've got to find a way to work with that to get yeah, ahead. I think, and this is on my reflection based on me knowing that I was going to be speaking to you. And I think a lot of it is just based on on trust. And although I'd been released and they probably didn't trust me as a player, as a centre-back, but they did trust me as a person. They let me go back when I'd been released and said, you know, feel free to come and use the facilities, come and, you know, just let us know if you want to come train, you can train with the youth team and keep your fitness up. But yeah, it was, it was, um, they were just comfortable with me being around. Uh, Ross was happy to have me there and I was chopping up heart rate traces and not knowing what the heck I was doing because none of this was in my degree. Of course it wasn't. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a trust and a, a familiarity. They were, they knew that I wasn't, going to do anything that was going to interrupt the first team basically they just wanted me to do my job learn from ross and um and do what needs to be done without kicking up a fuss and that yeah that was that's where i was okay so take us forward now where are you now since that doncaster moment of being isolated but then finding an opportunity and building upon that so take us all the way forward to today and where you are now. Yeah, so just one little one little story which kind of summed up my my then last two years uh, at Doncaster under under Dean and then um, later Paul Dickov was I was still playing football at the time, so I was still earning a little bit of money because of the, um, the the wage I was getting at Doncaster, which was not great. Um, so they they let me they let me play part time football at the same time, which was great. Um, I was at my desk one day, early one morning, just being in the gym. I think it was like half seven, eight o'clock. And the assistant manager came in, knocked on the door and said, Robbie, are you busy today? I said, well, just normal day. Like, is there anything you want me to do? He said, I've got your boots and your shin pads. I said, yeah, yeah, they're in the car. I've got a train tonight. Would you mind playing the reserves? We've got a game against Sheffield Wednesday. So I ended up playing Donny reserves against Sheffield Wednesday that day. So that that kind of summed up my the uses that I had at the club, having come back as a player, I'd, I'd be drafting as the makeshift centre forward um, during practice games for the youth team because, well, I could, you know, I had a decent, half decent touch with the football. So I was just drafting and doing different things, but that kind of summed my last two years up at Doncaster. Um, then from there, I kind of knew it wasn't really going anywhere. We'd had a couple of changes in fitness coaches and I wasn't really considered. Um, ended up going to, to Huddersfield University, which was quite a surprise to the the guys at, at the club that had chosen to kind of move away from professional sport and, and go into a university. And I took a little bit of risk there because a lot of the things, or certainly a handful of the things that I would be doing weren't anywhere near elite sport. But I knew that I needed to get, I needed to change. I needed to finally earn some half decent money. And, um, and have the opportunity to be in a different environment. So I spent a couple of years there, 
And at which time during that transition, that's where the podcast kind of came from. And then I ended up going to work at Catapult off the back of that two years at the at the university. And that was that was based on just my interest in the commercial, the business side of things that had kind of started to blossom a little bit with sponsorship of the podcast and me just kind of branching out and just been involved in a bit of a just different world in elite sport, really. I was still in elite sport in terms of I was speaking to people who are working it, but other things did interest me, like the marketing, the podcast, the the selling of it, although there was nothing to buy, it was selling the someone's time to listen to it. All that kind of thing really, really interested me. And that led me to a couple of years at Catapult, um, almost like an account manager, sports science support role. Um, and, and that lasted uh, a couple of years. And then I, I kind of, the, the personal stuff, the podcast stuff just, just kind of got a bit, it was just kind of burning a hole in my, um, in my brain really just to, just to, Met, them, met more of it and do more of it. And that's, that led me to leaving Catapult and, and going into the murky world of self-employment, which has been, which has been the last two years. So it was kind of probably this today actually was my first day two years ago as a, as a self-employed um, person. So that's where we are now. Well, that's interesting though. So burning a hole in your brain, that sounds like a fairly deep motivational purpose that's driving you to do this. But 2014, 2015, you would have been well ahead of the curve there. And certainly, certainly in terms of communicating, creating content, what was, what was going through your mind? Where were you when you thought, actually, you know what, I'm going to give this a go? Uh, because 2014, 2015, it's unusual to hear about someone that early in their career communicating so publicly. I mean, now everyone's got a bloody podcast, haven't they? So uh, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years into this and, and learning as we go. But what was, what was behind the motivation and when, where were you when you thought of it? I somehow came across, and it was on, on Twitter because I'd, I'd I'd been knocking around on Twitter since probably 2013, 2014, and ended up hearing that Nick Grantham and Brendan Chaplin were, were doing a podcast. And it was Brendan's early days in his business when he was when he was working at um, Leeds Beckett University and bringing over sorry, that year or the year after, bringing over the likes of Dan Baker and Kelvin Giles and doing the workshops and videoing them and selling them on the line, online. So it was that kind of early snc online business side of things and they were they were doing a, a podcast um was with brendan and nick and i found it really useful and it was it was kind of performance related it was a little bit business related as as kind of brendan took more of the lead on it and i just thought i could do that i reckon i could do that i think i think i quite enjoy it so the first podcast and this is me all over just jump right in don't really do any any uh research into what would how I would go about it just thought well i've seen the voice memo thing on my phone on my iphone i'll just ring up so and so and just record it and just stick it out and see what happens so that was that's how the first that's how the first episode was recorded it was it was a guy that i knew who was at Leeds university he was their snc coach um he's now left trend the condition he's now a paramedic um and got him on skype and put my iphone on the laptop probably not a laptop at the time, probably a desktop computer and put it next to the speaker and recorded it. And that's, that's where it came from. And the reason behind it was firstly, I just thought, well, I could do that. 
when I was listening to Nick and uh, and Brendan. But I thought this could lead me into asking people to come on. I could speak to other people. So I thought, well, if I wanted to speak to someone at Man United, like why would they speak to me? Why would they, why would they give 45 minutes of their time to Rob Pacey, who works at Huddersfield University? No one knows who he is. But I thought if I started this, I'd obviously clocked with Brendan and Nick that they've always got people have always got something to sell, even if that's just not themselves and their expertise. I could offer 10 minutes at the end of this episode to have them promote their book or their website or their course. So that's what I did. I just pitched it to people and said, look, give me half an hour and I'll give you 10 minutes. I don't know how many people are listening, but if a couple of people listen and you get a bit of exposure, that could be could work for you. And that's how it started off. And that is just kind of gone from there. So, okay, well, it's, that's quite that's quite a bit of optimism <laughs> there. Uh, have you always been that gung ho? Have you always been, I suppose, of that mentality and of that type? I'll give give it a go. Interesting. In in certain aspects of my life, I am. In certain aspects of my life, I'm quite reserved and cautious. But I just thought, well. I think it could. I didn't think it could lead to anything apart from me just getting to know people. And I, I remember running it past my my dad, who was an architect, and I used to play in goal during growing up for his architects team because they were in the Leeds Architects League, and they all used to come together. I always for a drink afterwards. He used to obviously bring me because he used to play as well. And I remember him saying to me, "Oh, he's he's coming to work for us. He used to work for us." He used to work for us a couple of years ago, went and came back. I just thought everyone knows each other here. And he's like, well, yeah, because I, it, my dad re- mentioned to me that he used to get a bonus if they recommended anyone and actually, who actually got employed. So I thought, this is like who you know is like, it's making you money. It's making people's staff money for recommendations. So I was like, what if we could do a similar thing? Like, what if I got to know these people and I became a, a bit of a resource and was able to help them as much as they're helping me. And I think that was it. It was just the the kind of people around that were sending these messages that this could be a a really positive thing. I don't know. I didn't know what it could be, but I thought it, it can't be. It could only be positive. Right. I, I, I thought it was the fact that you just got a cool sounding surname <laughs> and that you just wanted to become that. You just, nominative determinism, you're just becoming a cool podcast. <laughs> I don't even know what you can, what you can do with the name Ingham. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> okay, on the website you've got strengthandscience.com. Uh, you, the first words there are the podcast is a resource, and, and that that feels like a strong driver for you. But also, um, I'm getting a sense of it's a network, it's a contribution to the field. But there's also a commercial feel and anticipation of what could be. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's it was never it was never meant to be commercial in any way, shape, or form. I think this is where I'm quite I'm pretty still quite naive on this front and in the potential that the podcast has and other things may potentially have. But and it was other people that actually brought the commercialization of the podcast in terms of sponsorship actually pointed it out. There's people listening. You've got an audience. An audience is valuable. Maybe you should take advantage of that. And it was it was not me actually thinking that from myself. But 
yeah, when I set it up, it was it was never meant, never thought I could ever make any money on it. I didn't know anyone that made money off podcasts. Um, but but since then, obviously the Instagram, inf- not that I'm an Instagram influencer, but the Instagram influencer generation, the Twitter influencer, the you know people who are making money from YouTube and things like that, which didn't seem I didn't know of anyone doing that back in 2014. But obviously, since that's become more and more mainstream that's opened up more opportunities for me to be able to commercialize it. And like I say, I'm, I'm pretty, still pretty naive on that front, but I think there is um, a lot of potential for, for me to uh, exploit a horrendous word, but exploit it a little bit more than I do. And I think that's probably what for me gives me confidence for the future in it because I haven't exploited it as much as I could have done. I've kept it reasonably hopefully reasonably pure barring a couple of sponsors that you know help me to keep doing what i do and give them the time to do it um so yeah i hope that answers your question yeah it certainly does and i I suppose there's probably a little bit more snobbery uh and less discretion in in the uk where People are unaccepting of of maybe being interrupted every three minutes for an ad break and that they need to perhaps be a little bit more immersed and there's a greater sense of trust that needs to to build up. Um, So tell me, how have you maintained your consistency? How have you made sure that you're, you're driving away at this week in, week out and producing content for for other people? Yeah, another interesting one. So I remember at 98, number 98, number 99, thinking I'm going to get to 100. I think at that point, I maybe had like maybe one sponsor, maybe two sponsors. It wasn't, it was like ticking over. I thought I'm going to get to 100 and I'm done. It's getting a lot, like I've got a full-time job. It's it's maybe not done what I thought it was going to do at that point. I'm going to get to 100 and it's going to go. And I remember speaking to my now wife and she was like, you think you're crazy? Just just keep doing it. Like it's, it's an evening, a bit of a weekend, but just keep doing it. And I remember speaking to other people and 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 one person in particular, I said, I don't want to be known as the podcast guy. Like I've got, there's surely more to what I am than just the podcast guy. And I remember that, that person going, why? Like milk it, be the podcast guy and be the best podcast guy there is. So I was like, well, Maybe so. I can I carried it on, and and I think the the thing with the podcast, and this has probably only started to really kick in the last couple of, especially the last year, is that you put this thing out, this audio goes out, it goes on Podbean or wherever, and it ends on iTunes, and a couple of people go, "Oh yeah, cheers for that, enjoyed it," but that's it. It's just kind of silence, and. You don't really, you can look at the numbers, but, and you can make the numbers do what you want in terms of, in terms of downloads and things like that. But it's only this last year when I've done a little bit of traveling for a few of the things that I've got going on at the minute in terms of external stuff. I ended up going to um, USC, the the college over in, in um, LA. And I was being shown around by this guy who'd I've been introduced to. And he was introducing me to people. And it, I think it was the therapist. And um, he said, oh, this is Rob. And it was a, a girl that I'd never seen before, had never seen me, um, Rob Pacey. And she was like, oh, from the podcast. I was like, yeah, 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 I guess so, yeah, yeah. And that was in January this year. So it had been going 
over four years at that point. And at that point, I was like, geez, there's, there's people out there actually listening to this thing. And this is only four years in. Um, and that, that's happened a couple of times in random places. And that's probably given me the impetus to kind of kick on again because it's it's pretty showed me that there are actual actual humans out there who maybe don't don't post on Twitter to say thank you, but are actually listening and enjoying it. Um so it's been, yeah, it's been a heck of a journey and something that I would never have thought would have happened five or six years ago. I love the words you're using there. You're Rob Pacey, you're the guy from the podcast and you're saying, Yes, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the, your alter ego that's that's in the background. So there's some nice example there of, of some of the positive support that you've had from people over the years. Uh, I guess there's going to be a variety of responses. So given that you're doing something quite public, have you had anything that's, I guess, negative to what you're doing? Uh, anything that's potentially dented your motivation over the years? Not nothing in particular that I can pinpoint. One one interesting thing that did that has amused me since that probably I didn't really didn't really take on board at the time was I, I put a little a couple of tweets out at one point. This was quite early on. This was probably pre a uh, hundred pre episode a hundred, and I asked a couple of people if they'd leave a review, and you ask people to leave a review you're kind of hoping that the people that you know that you're asking to leave a review would, whether they've listened or not, would leave you a five and a five star. But the person that I asked, who I was reasonably close to at the time, I had a couple of coffees with, used to speak reason regular, gave it a three. So I was like, oh, that was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, yeah, thinking back, it's quite amusing now. But um, yeah. That's not bad. (laughs) That's that's 60%. That's a a C minus. Yeah. But I just thought, I know this guy, like, he's going to be nice. He's going to give me a little bit of boost. No, no, no. Three stars and an, and an average kind of lukewarm comment that I, I can't think off the top of my head. But, yeah, that's amused me, in the, uh, amused me now. So, um, But, no, there hasn't been any massively negative things, um, thankfully. Okay, very good, very good. So, I mean, you've had, what, 270-plus episodes now, and uh, you – You've had you've had some round table sessions pulling people together. Yes, yeah, so there's two hundred and seventy eight or two hundred and seventy seven, I think, as we as we speak. And there's been a there's been a couple of like masterclass episodes where I've pulled various point various parts of different ones together into one into one episode. There's been some round tables, but yeah, two hundred and seventy seven I think as we speak. All right. So that is an awful lot of content and a lot of people that you've spoken to industry insights opinions biases all sorts of different perspectives so difficult question then what have you learned about the industry what are the what are the major things that seem to come up time and time again the way it's and this is probably going back to the the kind of uh, the experience at doncaster that it's for me and how how the podcasters run and how I how I've begun to realize that the whole industry runs and probably whole other industries run as well that it's based on trust and and relationships and I've managed to get people on because they've trusted that I'm going to hopefully put them in the best best light as as they could as as I could sorry um and 
yes that that's probably one that's one thing that i've i've learned and tried to foster that in other areas of um of kind of my professional life um but in terms of in terms of the, the actual individual guests i think when people ask me like who are the best guys you've had on or who are the most interesting and it's kind of difficult to difficult to answer that but one thing i do reflect on is the guys that i really like and have really kind of struck up a um a relationship with on the podcast and 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 post post recording is the guys that seem to be able to go the full spectrum and the spectrum going from kind of having a beer or a couple of beers to the pure scientist and can baffle you with 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 science and they can they they, they drop in on any on anywhere on that spectrum no matter where you put where you kind of throw the question they they can dive in on on you know wherever that may be and i think that's one thing that i've learned about the from what i perceive is the is the really successful guys who can go anywhere on that spectrum and since i've since then i've kind of i've met up with a few and had that beer or a couple uh, and they're fine there but if you drop in on a latest research article or or something quite complex they ramp it up they straight ramp it up so that's for me that's been a real learning that them top guys do have that um that full broad range in their in their character in their experience and their knowledge um rather than the kind of one-dimensional I don't want to speak about anything apart from strength and condition or sports science. Uh, and that, that's maybe what does that knowledge of the the kind of hardcore science does put them in that position, but their ability to sway back towards that being a really good guy and so an interesting person is, I think, maybe allowed them to stay there. Um, the knowledge has got them there, but that personality's allowed to stay there and thrive in that environment. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting concept. And it, it's one I've spoken about many a time that, that deep mathematical, logical, basic sort of intelligence that what we associate with IQ and a combination of EQ. And I believe that a combination of, of high ability in both is so rare to find in people. I genuinely do. And I know that there are a number of other dynamics and and intelligences that people need, but having the the contextual appreciation to understand when to go through the gears, as you call it, accelerate a particular topic, accelerate your intelligence or the layers of, of which you're going to provide support to people. I'm going to need to deliver this at this given moment to have that appreciation and that perspective and to be able to park your own personal ego to push your own agenda or your the thing that you think is most important perhaps when actually what's needed is is the team the team's development and the team's success it's, i think that is so rare and i think you can develop it i don't know whether you can develop it much I wonder whether actually a lot of those qualities are written in quite early. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would put the the person that comes to mind, and I didn't particularly want to say a name, but like JB Marin, super, super clever guy in the research set, research setting, applied setting. But then I was lucky enough to head over to Nice and and, and have a drink with him, and but definitely 
he's he for me he epitomizes that kind of person who can who can ramp it up ramp it down you know no matter who's who's in front of him that can be scaled right up if it's someone who's not at that level that can be more like me that can be scaled down so yeah i definitely put him in that in that category and what are the consistent themes that keep coming up what are the things that you know, you're talking to a number of people from different backgrounds different uh, perspectives different research interests different cultures at different times what are the consistent themes that that keep coming up from your conversations when you're talking to these performance people it's interesting because i put my the the top 5 episodes that were or top downloaded episodes that came out in 2019 and didn't really see this at, at, at first but then realized that i think four out of the five were uh sprinting speed um focused so that was that was clearly something that the audience likes and has a thirst for thankfully them guys who i got on to chat about them were really good in themselves as well um but i think i went through a phase at the start and this is maybe this is maybe born out of my line of questioning i'm not quite sure but a lot of culture a lot of buy-in um relationships with coaches with athletes with fellow staff was a big theme probably at the start towards the middle um of the of the 277 or whatever it is um that have come out and then i think i've made a conscious decision to try to pull it back into into being really applied so something that um, information that someone could listen to on a Sunday night and then go, right, I'm thinking differently about what I do tomorrow or I'm going to change what I do tomorrow based on what I've heard or at least question and, and have something in your mind that's um, that's been challenged. So I think them too, in terms of an audience point of view, the speed and speed side of things, but the culture always does come up. And I think just because... It, it's, an, it's such an interesting topic, something that is very hard to pin down. Um, and it's, it's always something that people are trying to improve because people in elite sport or people who are striving to work in elite sport, it's a constant challenge. Um, it's a constant challenge to get athletes to do what you want them to do. So it's always going to be a um, one for discussion. Mm, okay, that's interesting that speed has a, a level of, interest and resonance and the mechanics and metabolism behind that seems to provoke a lot of conversation certainly on social media and i'm going to guess my i'll take a bit of a punt here but my sense is that a lot of that comes from it being unmeasured and it's only in aerobic circles or uh, aerobic sports you can measure a lot of what's going on you can track an awful lot with gps these days but, but speed seems to be sort of untapped as something that we can quantify and pin down. That's interesting. And then you you talk about then the the environment and how there's some dynamics there that go on that perhaps are difficult to measure, difficult to pin down. It's it's something that fills our brains socially, doesn't it? It tires us out on our first day of work, but we don't necessarily know how to work with it, don't what to do with it. And when you say about applied, do you mean about the application of technical concepts there in terms of translating science to the pitch? Or are you talking about how 
you actually make that concept work for another person. Yeah, I think it, a good example was my a recent one that I did with Alex Natera, who's um, I think his official title, Strength and Power Coach or Head of Strength and Power at GWS Giants in AFL. And he was talking about his use of isometrics. And he kind of, he said, oh, we do these couple of ex- uh, three or four exercises, then, then carried on in his conversation. I said, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Alex, but I know for a fact that you've said, I do these three or four exercises. People are going to want to know what them three or four exercises are. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm really sorry. And then went dive into the actual exercises that he does. And that may seem quite an obvious thing, but I don't think it is that people are happy to really go down in the depths of the actual what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum of, you know, of um, a diverse range of people that listen, but especially on the less experienced end, they want people want to know the actual nuts and bolts. And that's, that's the difficulty with the kind of culture discussions, because I think that's probably interesting to the less experienced coaches, but, but definitely more, uh, interesting to the more experienced coach with the nuts and bolts, the less experienced maybe going to hang the hat on a few of a few things, a few more things that the guest may say. So it's just trying to get a, a bit of a mixture of both, and and that by apply just mean that something exactly what that person's doing on a day to day basis, rather than the maybe the science or the theory behind it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair play to you. That that's. That's sensible for you to have done that and, and helpful for the audience. I suppose from a, a few points of view, if you're a senior guru, technical whiz at something, that that actually playing that back to a, a broader audience can, uh, can help somebody. But equally, there might be someone just starting out and they just need to know some of the basics. And, and so capturing that is really good. So what have you learned? Um, Speaking to people nearly every week, I would assume, it sounds like you've evolved your questioning over time. Um, so what would you reflect would be some of the major developments that you've undertaken? Um, well, the, the, ba- the kind of basic things that I think of, it's, it's forced me to learn different things that I would never have thought. Editing audio, like why would I have ed- ever thought that I would need to do that? Um, putting things together for social media, learning Adobe After Effects, Adobe Premiere. So the basic, the physical stuff that I've had to learn has been has been great, and that's certainly developed me because it's led to certain things that I do now from a nine to five standpoint. Because I've I've got them skills from the from the podcast, but I think it's it's allowed or it's it's forced me to second guess and and communicate things that people want to hear so like like the alex scenario that could have easily been brushed over and there's people out there going well i'd love to know what exercise he does so but i i think i I think that i'm quite in tune with what people want to hear um and a lot like i say along that kind of experienced spectrum of more experienced less experienced um so i think it's forced me to try to um, second guess people. And, and, that, and that comes through speaking to people as well, like actually asking for feedback, which is easier to get than, uh, sorry, harder to get than um, than what you think, especially kind of honest, candid, 
candid feedback on on how I go about things, not only the, the guest. Um, so I think they're the, they're the two that I'd say were the um, the, the main things that I'd learned from from doing the podcast. Yeah. Okay. So audio editing is a, yeah. it's a bit of fun, isn't it? <laughs> audio editing is is fun. We'll put it in inverted commas. That EQ box that just opens up a whole bunch of things I've never even heard yeah. of. Yeah. So. Okay, so am I am I hearing there this idea that you've got an understanding and appreciation perhaps of of what your audience is, who they are, but also maybe what they're thinking, what what, the, what are the questions on their mind, and that's enabling you to be perhaps a little bit closer to anticipating what questions might be best, so that you can get the best out of the time that you've got with that guest. Yeah, I think so, and I think one thing that I've changed over the last probably year maybe 18 months is actually getting the guest more involved prior to the prior to recording with what actually goes into the content because i have become aware that like i may see something that sounds cool like just take jb marin for jb marin for instance he might have a new paper out and I'm I'm dead keen to chat about it. But actually that's three years old and he's moved on from that. And it's been talked about, he's done two other podcasts that I've not heard that kind of didn't go great talking about that subject. So I've tried to inc- incorporate the thoughts and the wants of the guests a little bit more rather than it all just been, this is what I want. And some people just go, yeah, that's fine. Just whatever you think is 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 the way to go. That's fine with me. But you'll get some people go, well, we're actually doing this really cool thing at the club that we've not really spoken about. And I'm like, absolute gold, fantastic. Let's just dive in on that. So that's kind of changed over the last 18 months. Pretty as I've got a bit more confident in asking the person and putting the emphasis, not to pass the book, but just putting a little bit more emphasis on the on the guest, providing me with a few ideas as well. Okay, so we started this conversation before we started recording and, and we were talking about social media and I'm a bit nervous actually about perhaps the next generation of performance professionals. I'm a bit worried that perhaps people will be looking up at people like you, perhaps me, and thinking I need to dominate the conversation and they might not necessarily have the skill or the the contextual appreciation of what they're doing and, and I'm getting a sense that a generation is at risk of being a bit shouty and a bit noisy. And I wonder if you've got any advice from the experience that you've had about creating content and sharing material that can contribute. What would be your bit of advice to that next generation? My big thing is authenticity. I think it's got to be, it's got to be who you are. And I know that's a little bit, maybe pretty cliche, but I think it's it's easy to it's easy to see Gary Vaynerchuk and go, he's getting loads of attention doing it this way, therefore I should do that. Brett Bartholomew's getting loads of attention for doing his YouTube videos the way he does it and in a in a way that is authentic to him, therefore I'm going to do that. That's what works. And I, I've done that. Like I've, I've definitely tried certain things because of the people have done them and gone. That's just that's just not me. I think the quicker you can figure that out, the better because it is so obvious. 
it is really, especially for people are getting more in tune with the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world, the there's hundreds of them out there who are who are huge on social media, who are doing things really well and getting lots of attention. Um, so I think so people are who are copying that. It's it's super obvious because people are, are so more in tune with with how people go about things and how people use social media for their for their own gains. So and there's there's one um, one thing recently that I saw and it was a it was a YouTube clip that someone had done it was almost like a youtube review of a product but it wasn't a youtube review of a product it was a youtube review of a coach and the information and the resources that coach was putting out and i thought wowzer this is a different level this is we're in a different world now and it was it was produced like a youtube reviewer clip where it's it's quick um it's quick frames going from one discussion to the next it's a little bit tongue in cheek um and i thought this is we've kind of celebritized the coaches that are around us who are on social media and now we're reviewing them this is quite scary and i think but people have like that that person went down that route because they'd seen something else and thought like YouTube's big. Like, I want to be a YouTuber, and I'm going to bring the SNC community into that that world, and I'm going to review this coach. And I thought, ooh, that's that's a dangerous game to play. Um, and I think people have got to be really careful how much. Like, it's obvious you put something online, everyone can see it. But if you put something online and you're going to go for a job, like if that guy goes for a job and knows anything to do with the coach in question. Like he's he's gone, like surely. Um, so I think people have just got to be really aware of what they put on and and how they put it on. I think that's nearly come round to bite me in the bum in the past. Uh, like a tw- I think it was a tweet from probably five years ago that was that was dug up and it was nothing sinister or anything. It was um, it was just a viewpoint that I pre put across in a not as eloquent way as I should have done. Um, and that nearly bit me in the bum, but yeah, I think authenticity for me and just being careful who you're influenced by and not trying to copy. Okay. So some sound advice there, but I mean, that does, that just sounds bizarre, really reviewing coaches. Yeah. I mean, some yeah. sort of holier than thou, I know best, and that's going to diminish somebody's credibility very quickly. But the, the ironic thing, Steve, is this from what I saw with that was quite a young coach like trying to get just trying to get a little bit of attention himself which was just for me just got like going about it the completely wrong way if you're in tune with how the industry works just a little bit naive to me but that's oh god well i mean it takes minutes to take to ruin your reputation and collapse it um but it can take decades and decades to build a, a healthy reputation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I like that uh, advice about authenticity and you said you had self-awareness, but I think it does take time for you to work your voice out and refine your values and develop your self identity rather than perhaps just creating content and, and winging it and, and sticking it out there. I, I'm not necessarily sure that's the best approach. Although 
probably one of the best lessons is is actually doing it and trying it and seeing what happens. All right. Well, on that note, I would like to say thanks for joining me, Rob. And thank you, podcast guy. That's what I'll call you now. <laughs> That's fine now. Five years ago, I'd take an offence, but... <laughs> and a massive congratulations. Congratulations on uh, going for it, putting that material out there and and uh, contributing and being consistent, showing up for people and creating an, a, a massive resource for people to draw upon over the years so thanks so much rob oh, it's a pleasure thank you for having me on steve and uh, yeah i really appreciate it. and for what you do as, as well of course so thank you you can check out rob's podcast at strengthofscience.com you can also follow him on twitter at strength of S-C-I at the end there. You can follow us on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve and support underscore champs. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at our company page, Supporting Champions. If you're interested in joining our Facebook group, Performance People, then the the link is in the show notes. (laughs) 